this last week, uh, we had a special event, an occasion for the Grimms and the Kazmerowitz. Josh Grimm and uh, Ricky Kazmerowitz got married, finally got married. And uh, anyway, the wedding was beautiful. It was outside. It was an outdoor ceremony. And uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's just watching the different uh, rituals that went on for a Catholic mass wedding in the outdoors, which is very interesting. But uh, it was wonderful. Enjoyed it quite a bit. And uh, as, as I was sit sitting there among everyone else watching what was going on in the ceremony, I couldn't help but think that these two, Josh and Ricky, are starting their lives out here together from that day on and going to uh, live life together in many ways. And uh, for some, they're, you know, thinking how they're going to just, you know, starting out their marital journey and, and uh, nothing but marital bliss right now. I couldn't help also to think that those in attendance who have been married for a while can testify, as long, along with myself as well, that there will be trials, there will be struggles, there will be difficulties, but there is encouragement all along the way and uh, all along that journey that we have. So that encouragement will come along all the way to carry, carry the married couples into those good times as well. And so uh, I, I was thinking about that. And, uh, you know, life is kind of like that too, isn't it? Life is filled with trials and struggles and difficulties. And, uh, but there's, there's always encouragement all along the journey. And, uh, you know, trials, struggles, difficulties, they happen. In fact, they, vi they visited the Steel Home this last week. Uh, a week ago from this last Friday, uh, Brianna's car had to get into the body shop. And, uh, and then from there, it's going to have to head over to the mechanic on Monday, tomorrow. Uh, on th uh, Thursday, this last Thursday, uh, we almost lost our, our green van uh, because uh, of a bad wiper, uh, windshield wiper motor that went out on it. And also almost a dead battery, but that got uh, taken care of. Friday, uh, Becky's bug, the precious yellow VW Beetle, uh, flower wheels and flower taillights, um, it, it, it had coolant issues, and so it was overheating, and it's going to have to visit the mechanic on Monday. Uh, so all these automobile uh, trials and struggles and difficulties. You know, by this Monday, tomorrow, we could have had Bree's car there from the body shop to our mechanic and the van there because the wiper motor going out and Becky's bug there and the mechanic all at the same time. And we'd be down to one car for four people, Maddie's little green Honda. But uh, we decided to at least keep the van and uh, we're going to do that, turn in the other cars, keep the van. Since there's no rain in the forecast for the next few days, I think we'll be all right. Probably by Thursday, we'll need to have that van taken care of, uh, windshield wipers, so we can drive it around. And uh, Oh, and I'm trying to get out and see you guys uh, this month, and uh, especially this week. Pretty full schedule to come see you. And if we're down to one car, that's going to be very, very difficult. I kind of think that some something that it's, it's something that someone doesn't really want happening, and you know the adversary can can get in that way and start to discourage, and trials and struggles can come and difficulties can come, but uh, the encouragement about all this 
for us and automobile struggles and stuff like that is the visitations that I've had with you guys so far. The reconnecting visits. And I'm so glad that we're going to be doing that this August, this month, being able to reconnect. I've had some good visits already with those I've, I've seen uh, in, in, in the last day or so. And uh, I'm looking forward to the visits to come as well as uh, those of you who schedule those out. If you haven't scheduled yet, you contact Stephanie. She'll get you scheduled up. I'd love to come by and visit or visit with you over the phone or on a video chat. Uh, there are plenty of options for you to choose from. But you know, we all need encouragement and we, we need to encourage all. I think that's something we need to keep in mind as we go through these days. And uh, you know, life is filled with those trials and struggles and difficulties, but there's always encouragement along the journey. We just need to look for it. And you know, David knew all about this. And as we dive into Psalm 31, we'll hear the, the song of encouragement through the messes of David's life. And I hope you pay particular attention to the last verses of Psalm 31. I'm going to be highlighting that towards the end of the message as well. So if you haven't yet, turn with me uh, to Psalm 31, and uh, we're going to be looking at that psalm. And as you turn there, I just want to let you know, I know this is a little, little echoey right now. So Sydney, I understand. I, I couldn't get away from it. There's a lot of metal, a lot of sheetrock. You could, enough blankets. You couldn't find enough blankets probably to, to dull the echo in this. So just bear with me during this time as I'm here from the lift. But uh, as we turn to Psalm 31, we're going to be skipping uh, skip the reading of the, all 24 verses all at once for now, because I'm going to take them uh, section by section as we look at this Psalm 31. Now, the words of this psalm are raw, and they are real. David moves from praising God to focusing on his problems, and then ends up praising again as he goes from anguish to assurance. Now, we could call this psalm a, a lament, because he sure is lamenting a lot of what's going on in his life. Uh, but it could also be called um, a vengeance psalm, basically, because David asks God to unleash judgment on the wicked. Ultimately, though, as we see David in a fight for his faith, we find this to be a psalm of trust, which becomes a song of encouragement to us. Now, we know from the heading that David wrote Psalm 31, but we don't know the exact context in which he wrote these words. It was either during the days in which he was fleeing for his life from King Saul, or more likely it was during the rebellion of his own son Absalom, who was seeking to overthrow David. But actually, it's kind of good that we don't know exactly uh, the context of this, you know, when it was written, because it, was, it, may, it may make it easier uh, to apply the psalm to our unique situations. And I believe that's going to be true here today as we go through this psalm. Now, at first glance of Psalm 31, you might think that we're hearing from a person who is on, a, on an emotional roller coaster ride. Uh, have you been there before yourself? Maybe you've been there uh, with someone else as they go on this emotional roller coaster ride up and down. We see this in Psalm 31. But then looking at this psalm more thoroughly, uh, we'll find that there are actually two main prayer cycles in this psalm. 
that I think could be used in our prayer time as well. A couple of outlines to guide us in our praying. So the first prayer cycle that we can see here in this, uh, this portion of Scripture is found in verses 1 through 8. First eight verses. And here, David, the first part of this prayer cycle is that David, uh, and all these are going to start with the letter A. They help you uh, remember them. But uh, David ask, asks God for help. And that's what we should be doing. Ask God for help. Verses 1 and 2 uh, is the first place to start, is to run to God. Run to God for refuge and ask Him for help. Look at verse 1 with me here. It says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Aren't you glad that God's grace covers our guilt and our shame? Check out how earnest and passionate David's prayer is here in verse 2. Incline, he says, incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. You know, hurry up. Hurry up. Be a rock. Be that immovable foundation. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. His prayer is also very personal as the word me is used four times there in that portion of scripture. Notice that he says to me, incline your ear to me, uh, for me, and be a rock of refuge for me. Uh, so here's a question for all of us. Are your prayers passionate and personal? Do we have passionate and personal prayers before God? I don't see why we don't, because God knows our heart anyway. God knows what we're thinking, what we're doing. He knows, he knows our hearts in a way where we really can't hide our feelings or emotions. So go ahead. Get out there and be personal with God. Get passionate with God in a way of letting Him know how you feel. God can take it, okay? So let Him know in your prayers, as David did as well. And then the second uh, part of this in this uh, prayer cycle, acknowledge who God is, verses 3 and 4. When you're unsteady and uncertain, uh, affirm the truth of God's steadiness. We see this in verses 3 and 4 here. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. It kind of reminds us of Psalm 23 a little bit. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. David called upon God to, to, to deliver him. He wanted God to help him in, his, in this situation. He wanted also God to, to stop those who were unjustly causing trouble. So David made his request based upon what he knew of God's name, his, his character. And because God is righteous and loving, he loves to deliver his people. Remember that when you're going through difficult times. As you ask God, acknowledge who he is. Acknowledge who he is. And then in verses 5 and 6, we come to a third part of this prayer cycle. Affirm your trust in God. Affirm your trust in God. Start by pleading in prayer and, and then calling God's character. And then David next settles the surrender issue by affirming his trust in God. In verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6 says, uh, um, into your hand, I commit my spirit. 
You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Now, we say we have faith in God, but do we really trust him? David's words in verse 5 convey his complete trust in God. That phrase, into your hand I commit my spirit, was the prayer that Jewish boys and girls prayed before they went to sleep at night. And it's probably it's a prayer of ultimate commitment, and it would, it would be very similar, but much deeper, than one of uh, our childhood prayers. A prayer that I remember learning when I was five, four or five, five or six, when when uh, the baby, my babysitter, the Christian babysitter, uh, was able to watch me through the days when my mom would be working, and I'd go over to the babysitter's house, and a Christian family, they taught me this prayer. And the prayer, and you probably know it as well too, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and, I, and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now, Jesus quoted the, the words also too found in verse 5 from the cross as he demonstrated his submission to the Father. He entrusted him with everything. And in this, this, this closing cry from the cross, Jesus died with Scripture in his mouth. And Stephen also quoted this psalm as he was being martyred, as we, we see that next, chapter 7. But we should commit our possessions, we should commit our, our families and our vocations to God. But first and foremost, we should commit ourselves completely to Him. Into His, into his hands we commit our spirit. Now look at verse 6. As David sees others giving their lives to false idols, he is also, he is deeply grieved, yet he clearly commits himself to the Lord. He says, but I trust in the Lord. Now, why did God, why, why did David suddenly bring up the subject of idol worship? <laughs> well, he probably wanted to contrast his total devotion to God with, with that the deluded worship offered by many Israelites. Now, Pagan religious rituals were never completely banished from Israel and Judah, despite the efforts of David and, and a few other kings. But obviously, a person who clung to idols couldn't commit his spirit into God's hands. No matter what anyone else does or doesn't do, David will trust in the Lord. And that word trust, to trust means to rely on and to, to lean on, to, to have confidence in. When we, put, when we put today's idols, wealth, um, material possessions, success, when we put today's idols first in our lives, we can't expect God's Spirit to guide us. God is our highest authority and requires our first allegiance. David moves from asking to acknowledging to affirming, and then to adoring God in worship. And that's that fourth uh, step there in this prayer cycle. Adore God in worship. Verses 7 and 8. Uh, and notice verse 7. It says, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love or your loving kindness because you have seen my affliction, my discomfort, my misery. You have known the distress of my soul. 
That means that God sees your suffering and knows all about the blows you've taken. He knows what you're going through. He understands all of that. And David can't help but be joyful and glad even though his pain and suffering are, are very severe. Remember, joy has nothing to do with your circumstances or, or your happenings. Happiness, happiness comes from our happenings. But joy, joy comes from the Lord. Remember that when your happenings aren't going like you wanted, when they're kind of crumbling around, all around you, crumbling down. You might not be happy at all, but you can still be joyful because joy comes from the Lord. David, uh, David continues on um, in verse 8. He's grateful that he's not been given over to his enemies. Instead, he exclaims here in verse 8, he says, You have set my feet in a broad or spacious, large place. And the meaning here is that God has not just barely saved him and given him a narrow piece of, of, of shifting sand to, to stand on. God has granted him a large and spacious place where he can, he can be safe and he can be secure. So here, we, from the first eight verses, we have this outline for our prayers from David's first cycle of prayer. Ask God for help. Acknowledge who he is. Affirm your trust. And adore God in worship. Now, if the psalm were to end here, we would probably think that David has resolved everything, never to be, never to have any problems again. But he he cycles through uh, stress and suffering again, just like we all do. And after committing our spirit and our stress and, and our stuff to the Lord, it's quite common to go through difficulties and despair and even depression. And as a result, David's prayer takes us. Uh, on a greater sense of desperation, as we see him do this, he still asks for help from God, but this time he is more descriptive about the depth of his agony. This prayer cycle, this second prayer cycle, is with a little more intensity going on. And we'll see this in, the, in verses 9 through 24. So in verse 9, the first part of this prayer cycle is that we ask for help. Again, ask for help. And when David cries out in the opening verses, uh, he uses 41 words in those first, day, uh, first opening verses there. Here in verse 9, he can only get out six words. He can only get out six words. You know, sometimes, sometimes when we pray, all we can say is, is this. Be gracious to me, O Lord. Just like David here in this first part of verse 9. It's like the brief prayer the tax collector prayed in, in Luke chapter 18 when uh, he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. <laughs> not much more he can pray about. Not much more he can get out. Sometimes we don't have the words to pray to God. And all we can do is plead to God from our hearts. And that, you know, that's where the Holy Spirit comes in to, to help us in our speechless prayers. Like in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 tells us, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know 
what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The Holy Spirit knows what you're praying for. He knows what you're going through. And so if you don't have the words to say in the, in the prayer, he knows, he can hear, he can interpret. He intercedes for us through those wordless groans. Then there's the second uh, part of this uh, uh, prayer cycle. Articulate your agony. Articulate your agony. Verses 10 through 13. Listen to David's raw assessment of his situation in the second half of verse 9 and then into verse 10. It says, For I am in distress. Uh, my eye is wasted with grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent or consumed with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. You know, this agony is kind of similar to what we find in Psalm chapter 6, verse 6. I am weary, weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. And in Job 3, verse 24, we read that his groanings are poured out like water. This has been a period of weeping for a lot of us, definitely. Not only in our country with the racial injustice and protests and riots, but you know what? It's, it, it's, it's a time as well in this world, especially, especially last Tuesday. As I already prayed about the Beirut blast that went off, oh my goodness, what a tragic situation. Killed over 150 people, wounded thousands, and caused destruction across half the city. It looks like it, it kind of looks like it was an accident when all comes down to it, but what a tragedy. Uh, all the, imagine the weeping going on. I, do you think about it? It's just awful. Awful. But we could get to a point like that where we just were weary with moaning, and every night we flood our bed with tears and drench our couch with weeping. Our lives are spent in sorrow, years of sighing, our strength fails, our bones waste away. You know, maybe you feel like that a little bit with the COVID-19 restrictions. But you know what? Hang in there. Hang in there. God is with you. He will walk with you all along the way in, this, in, in these days. Uh, in, in your concern about the virus, He is with you. You know, in verses 11 through 13, David is further grieved because he has become marginalized. Uh, you know, public opinion has turned against him. He once enjoyed influence and was well respected, but now he's on the run. He is God's anointed, but society treats him like an enemy. Sounds a bit like the evangelical church in America these days, doesn't it? <laughs> Not so well respected these days. But listen to his agony. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel, useless basically. For I hear the whispering of many, 
terror on every side as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. You know, David has sunk into the depths of despair. And you know, remember last Sunday, last Sunday's main point from Psalm 17, when you pray your prayer from the depth of your despair, be real with God and know that he is there. You know, God is with David through his despair and God is with us in our despair as well. Know that he is with you. Know that he, he loves you. He will never leave you in your situation, what's going on there. And notice that David doesn't stay there in his despair as we look at the third part of this prayer cycle where we need to affirm your trust. Affirm your trust. Verses 14 through 18. Even though David can't change what others think or do, he can make sure that he is trusting the Lord. Look at verse 14 with me. He says, But I... But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. You know, no matter what anyone else does or says, I can still choose to trust in the Lord. We see this in the word, the short little word, but, but I trust in you. I recently heard of the phrase, my response is my responsibility. I think it's a good one that we all need to remember. My response is my responsibility. And I think that David is living that phrase out in his life as well. I like how David declares out loud, you are my God. Now, when we say it for ourselves uh, in our own situation, realizing the, uh, the, uh, you know, our response is our responsibility, our outlook on things is changed. When you're ambushed by your anxiety, you are my God. When you feel alone and empty, you are my God. When you see our society becoming more godless, you are my God. When you wonder if things are ever going to get better, you are my God. When you feel ashamed and guilty, you are my God. When you feel like you can't go on, you are my God. And David, he next affirms that God is sovereign and acknowledges everything that happens to him is filtered through his loving hands. And we see this in verse 15. He says, My times are in your hand. Rescue me from, your, from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. And David was expressing his belief that all of life's circumstances all of those are under God's control. And knowing that God loves and cares for us enables us to keep steady in our faith regardless of our circumstances. It keeps us from sinning foolishly by taking matters into our own hands or, or maybe even resenting God's timetable, His timing in our life. Even though the times in which we live are uncertain and, and unstable, God is sovereign. I think that's something we all need to just make sure we, we understand, <laughs> we connect with. God is sovereign. You know, in, in The Tale of Two Cities, uh, Charles Dickens' book, he wrote these words, and, and very familiar to all of us probably as you've read that book. 
He wrote these words. It says, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was a season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. You know, our times are in his hand. So here's a question for all of us. What are we going to do with the time we've been given? In every adversity, there lies the the seed of an equivalent and greater opportunity. In times of darkness, light shines, uh, usually shines the brightest. Let's be like those described in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. We should know the times. We should know what we need to be doing. Let's not only understand, let's be a, let's be a people of action. We are we're followers of, of, of Jesus. Let's be people of action in that. We could certainly make the case that we are living in a post-Christian society especially with all that is going on these days. But I like the perspective that says we are living in a pre-revival society. <laughs> it's, it's, it's yet to come, and people are primed for it. Our times are in his hands. So let's be, let's be his hands and feet by going with the gospel message to those in desperate need of it. Look at verses 16 and 17 with me here in, in Psalm 31. It says, make your, make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. This is a plea for God to smile upon David and reminds us of the benediction found in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. And you probably are, are familiar with this. You hear it and you go, oh, I know this. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. You will be okay if people shame you as long as you know that God shines on you. Because God shines on you, you can handle any shame that comes your way. David does some more venting here in the last part of verse 17 and verse 18. (laughs) Kind of like all of us do at times. He says, let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol, which is the realm of, de- of the dead. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently, you know, you know, arrogantly, against the righteous in pride and contempt. <laughs> so, affirm your trust. Affirm your trust. And then, a fourth part of this uh, second prayer cycle is found in verses 19 through 21. Adore God in worship. Adore God in worship. You know, it doesn't take David long to get grounded again as he breaks out in worship in verses 19 through 21. After he kind of vents again in verses 17 through 18, he finally gets back into worshiping God, adoring God in worship, verses 19 through 21, and says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who, who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged 
city. So he moves into adoring God in worship. We also, too, need to remember that in our prayer time. We need to worship him, adore God in our worship. And then in the last uh, few verses, the uh, last two verses, verses 23 and 24, he, there's an appeal to others, an appeal to others. Um, we're not to keep our praise private, are we? We need to let people see it and, and hear it. Oh, God is very personal to David. He wants others to encounter the living God. Look how this psalm ends in verses 23 and 24. It says, Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. You know, God will sort everything out. He's going to do it. Be strong. Let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. <laughs> you know, as Christ followers who have become increasingly marginalized, let's live for Christ as never before. Let's do that. You know, Governor Brown has mandated many restrictions in light of COVID-19, resulting in many things being canceled or delayed or changed. School, church, work, life in general, right? But just because we can't meet together in church, in this building here, it doesn't mean that our testimony and our witness of Jesus in our lives is canceled. That's not what that means. We can continue to witness. We can continue to testify. When the early church was persecuted, they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ even more courageously. You know, we're not being persecuted like them, but we're in a situation where we're not very comfortable. We're a little agitated. We're a little concerned. We can't come to church. Acts 8, 4 says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. You know what? We're scattered to our own neighborhoods. We're scattered to our own places. We really can't come together like this in this building. But we still are able to go out. And we still are able to be with those people to witness to others. Give testimony what God is doing in your life. You know, I've noticed on social media how some of you are already proclaiming the gospel to those around you, bringing encouragement to people. You're visiting those who can't get out, and, and you're encouraging them in the Lord. You're bringing birthday greetings in person, and of course, being COVID safe, of course. You're delivering a delicious raspberry dessert to those of our senior luncheon crowd. You're cleaning up someone's garage and organizing it for them. A lot of things are going on. And this is encouraging to me. And it should be encouraging to you to hear it. These things made me smile because it means that you're living for Jesus. You're living for him in your homes. You're living for him in your neighborhoods and among our church families. And I want to say, keep it up. Continue to do that. Because you know what? Others are noticing Jesus in you as you do that. Keep it up. Let's continue to be strong in Him and continue to encourage one another in the Lord. So in these last two verses, David gives us some practical encouragement that I believe can carry over in our lives today. You look at those last two verses, 23 and 24. It says, Love the Lord, 
Be strong in the Lord. Take courage. You know, be encouraged and wait for the Lord. Maybe there's someone here watching today or listening today that needed to hear those words. If you need to hear them again, read verses 23 and 24 over and over again. And so here we have the outline similar to the one we found in the first eight verses, but of a more intense and fervent prayer from verses 9 through 24. So if you're looking for a, a, a prayer outline, yeah, a more fervent and intense prayer outline, here's one for you from this portion of Scripture. Ask for help, articulate your agony, affirm your trust, adore God in worship, and appeal to others. And I find, I find it interesting that even though David seemed to resolve his issues, he suddenly becomes alarmed in verse 22. And he cries out, I'm cut off from your sight. <laughs> and it was prayer that brought him back to what was true. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. When you are going through moments where you're you're just you're you're alarmed and and, and you 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 feel like you're cut off from God, you know what? Get back to God in prayer. Go to Him in prayer. He will hear you. He'll hear your pleas for mercy, and you'll be reminded that God is with you. Prayer is the way to connect to the One who can calm our fears and bring encouragement into our lives. You know, life is filled with trials and struggles and difficulties, like I said before. But there's always encouragement along the journey. We just need to look for it. You know, Mercy Me sings a song called Even If. Uh, maybe you've heard of it before on the radio. It's an, it's an older song. Listen to what Bart Miller has to say about that song. He's a lead singer of Mercy Me. He says, Even if is a reminder to people in difficult situations that don't seem to go away. God is worthy long before any of those circumstances even showed up. This song is a declaration to God that even if he went silent and, and never said another word, he's still worthy to be praised and that he's our greatest hope in the midst of the trial. God, God is our greatest hope. He is our greatest encouragement, and He is still worthy to be praised, regardless of whatever goes on. I want you to listen to Brianna and Maddie as they uh, sing this song. The words will be behind them. You can follow along with them, maybe even sing along with them as well. But let this song minister to you as uh, Maddie and Brianna sing it. Go ahead, girls.
Thank you, girls. Thanks for sharing that song with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would just continue to be with each one of us as we go through these days. Help us, Lord, to realize that we can cry out to you. We can be passionate in our prayer. And Lord, as we go through the struggles and trials and, and problems that go through in our lives, Lord, we can know that we can be encouraged all along the way. There's encouragement there. We just need to look for it because you are with us. You will encourage us and help us through those situations. So Lord, I pray that you would reach out to those who are going through difficult times and help them, Lord, to feel encouraged, be encouraged in you, and Lord, that they would increase their trust in you as well. Thank you, Lord, for this, this Psalm 31. And I pray, Lord, that it would also be a song of encouragement to everyone here today who is listening and watching. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and for what you're about to do. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, let me, let me share a benediction with you in closing. And this time is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Very appropriate, I believe, for our message that we've had here today. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself with, and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word.